continue in the book of Acts. And uh, starting in Acts chapter 24, I'm going to verse, read verses 1 through 23. It says, Now after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he called upon Tertullus, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, See that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to you this nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews of the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him. And wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysias, came by and with a great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been there here before you to object if they had anything against me or else let those who hear themselves say it, they that found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. And so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for for or visit him. <clears throat> so what's going on here? So Paul now is being tried before the procurator Felix, who's a representative of Rome, but it was the Jewish people that were um, prosecuting him. Ananias, the high priest, comes down. And so the crowd here is part Roman, it's part Jewish. The charges are part political as well as part religious. So the Ananias, the high priest, responds to a summons to go down to Caesarea with some of the elders. And the lawyer here is Tertullus. He's a lawyer to bring their charges against Paul before the governor, Felix. So Tertullus here in the beginning, he's presenting his case before Felix. Um, he's endeavoring to capture the judge's goodwill, right? It's, the, it's that complimentary opening thing, that nauseating flattery to flatter the judge, Oh, great Felix, you do these wonderful things. This guy's a pesky fellow. Tertullus calls Paul a pestilent fellow, a perfect pest. So he's a pesky fellow. 
This is what Tertullus is calling him. He's stirring up riots. He's expressing political overtones. He's a Nazarene uh, ringleader. He's accusing him of a religious sect. He's, uh, he's desecrated the temple. And this is a particularly damaging accusation because the Romans had given the, the Jews wide powers in dealing with offenses against the temple. So Paul then launches in his defense. And so here we have, here we see Paul's confession of faith. Uh, uh, of faith. Sorry. So he's, he's consists of four affirmations. He says, I worship the God of our fathers. So he's saying, we worship the same God. He's telling the Jews, we worship the same God. I worship the God of our fathers. I believe everything written in the law and prophets. We believe the same truths. I have the same hope of God as these men. We share the same hope. I strive always as much as they to keep a clear conscience. We cherish the same ambition. Paul's purpose was not to make a personal declaration, but to insist that he shared it with the people of God. He was not an innovator, but he was loyal to the ancestral faith, nor was he a heretical deviant, but he stood squarely in, 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 in with the mainstream of Judaism. His worship, his faith, his hope, his goal were really no different than theirs. The way enjoyed direct continuity with the Old Testament for the scriptures bore witness to Jesus Christ as the one in whom God promises has been fulfilled. This is what Paul's defense is in front of Jews and Romans. So what does this mean to us? The Old Testament is still God's word and it's still relevant for today. And it's unfortunate that we have to have these conversations nowadays because for as long as as I can remember, the Old Testament's always been a part of the Christian faith. We came from the Old Testament. Christians came out of that. It's always been a part of our faith. So Paul is proclaiming the same God of the law and prophets is the same God he's preaching about. Jesus expounded in the Old Testament. Jesus preached passages and explained them to crowds in their original intent and purpose because the people had made a means of legalism instead of what God originally wanted for his people. The laws and the prophets was never meant to be a legalistic approach to God. It was from a loving God that was trying to protect his people. And the people corrupted it. In 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped with every good work. Now, it's interesting. People love to quote that and they say all scripture, but they don't realize that Paul is specifically talking about Old Testament. He's saying all Old Testament, that's all they had. That's what he preached out of, was the Old Testament, was the law and the prophets. This is what he preached to people. <clears throat> and there's heretical preaching out there nowadays saying that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, saying it's not valid, it's not relevant. That, you know, and I'm like, it's nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Unhitch from that thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Stay hitched to the Word of God. <clears throat> And the Old Testament is profitable for Christians today. And, and honestly, when you look at it, we can't fully understand the New Testament apart from knowing the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament drips with symbolism and realities of Christ. And Jesus is present from the very first chapter of the Bible. Jesus said he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's no such thing as God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament. It's God. He's one. He's the same. Paul says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So the, the all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness. All scripture, instruction and in righteousness. 25% of God's word is prophetic in nature and that word is profitable for us. When we read prophecies in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled... Like the prophecies of the 70-year captivity, right? Prophecies of Jesus' first coming. These things should give us faith and confidence, right? That all of God's promises are true. They are yes, they are amen, that he will fulfill every single one. And so we read prophecy and, and rest in his sovereignty over our future. So we can go to Revelation and we can say, that's going to happen. You, you can't read that and say, well, that's not for me or that's not, you know, that's it. No, every prophecy in scripture has come to pass and will come to pass. <clears throat> the law, right? And, you know, people get bogged down with the law. You know, you can get bogged down in Leviticus. You know, and this year I've actually been reading through the Old Testament very, very, very slowly taking it and just dissecting one little thing at a time. And every one of God's laws, there's a spiritual implication behind it. If you would learn, you would learn to, to see what God was trying to say in that, what he was trying to do in his people, right? And, and, and the glory of reading Old Testament law like that too is the realization is that Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Yes. So you praise God. I don't got to wash dishes like this and this. I don't have to cook food and eat this and do this and do this and, you know, uh, <laughs> The, the kosher stuff, right? None of that stuff. I don't have to. That burden's no longer ours to bear. So that just gives us a hope that's been fulfilled. Yes. Praise God. Amen. Galatians 3.24 says, The law is our schoolmaster. It's our teacher to bring us to Christ. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. So the law is a schoolmaster. It's a teacher that can lead people to Christ. So there's, there's value in that. <clears throat> we can rejoice that Jesus satisfied those requirements of the law. We can rejoice in those things. And the second part of this scripture is, <clears throat> Paul here, right? He, he's, going, he, he, he's going before the court. And he has to defend himself. Is your defense about you or the gospel? Because in most things, we're not to defend ourselves. And a person that's been truly humbled doesn't care when others falsely accuse him. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. 
Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if, you're hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we see Jesus before his accusers, and he uttered not a word. Right? False accusation, lies, slander. They're not worthy of response. It's not worthy. They're just not worthy of response. God will handle it. <clears throat> now, Jesus didn't have to utter a word because, first of all, he was confident of who he was. <clears throat> we can all admit, right? Jesus was confident of who he was. He's like, I, I don't got to defend that. You don't know what you're talking about. But Jesus' mission was to die. That was his mission. He was to die to the to die on the cross. His mission in going before the court was to die on the cross. Now Paul's mission was different than Jesus's mission. Paul's mission was to share the gospel no matter what the cost. So his defense was not because he wanted to spare his life or his good name, but rather he saw it as an opportunity to share the gospel. You see the difference? God put him in high places to share the gospel with the rulers and leaders as well as the common folk. And so Paul had a keen understanding of his mission. He said it wasn't about him. His life was forfeit for Jesus. His defense was about the gospel, not about himself. He wasn't trying to defend himself. It wasn't about him. He saw it as an opportunity to share the word of God with Romans and Jewish people in a courtroom that had opportunity as, a, as if, if a leader gets saved, you know they have a greater influence. So if your defense is about the gospel, you don't have to worry. If our defense is really about the gospel, we don't have to worry. And Jesus prophesied to his disciples that they would not have to rehearse what they would say but the Holy Spirit would give them words to speak in these moments, right? We see these words, they came true in this narrative here. Jesus said, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Here is we see governor, Felix, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. So we see here Jesus' words being fulfilled in Paul's life. <clears throat> doesn't say Paul rehearsed what he was going to say. I don't, I don't know that Paul even knew what he said. You know, but it's very clear that in his response, it was a very clever response. It was a very clever response that he gave. We see, we see that then. It's the Holy Spirit giving Paul an answer in the time. Paul, Paul was ready. Paul was prepared. He'd been praying. He'd been preaching. He'd been doing what God asked him to do. So he's brought before them. And the Lord said, you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you words to say. And it's going to confuse them. <laughs> he's saying, we serve the same God. Who would think about that on their own? No, because we want to defend ourselves. Is your defense about the gospel or you? You have to answer honestly. You got to answer honestly. Because I know a lot of people who get in an uproar defending their actions and words, claiming it's about Jesus, but in reality, it's about them. Yeah. 
It's really about them. Their pride's been wounded. Their ego's been hurt. They've been offended. Because we're really good at attacking others in self-righteousness when there's glaring faults in ourselves. Is it about you or is, it about, or is it really about the gospel? Do you really care about Christ's message going forth or you just offended that your pride got hurt? I said it's going to hurt a little bit today. Yeah. <laughs> Go listen to Sundays. Are you in such a close relationship with the Lord that the Holy Spirit can easily speak to you and be heard by you? In those times. If you're consumed with yourself, you're not going to hear clearly from the Lord. When we're consumed with ourselves and doing things our way and our defense and you did this to me and I'm offended by this and you, you know, we're not going to hear clearly from God. As soon as we take ourselves out of it, we can hear clearly from God. Because Paul was concerned with building the Lord's church. He was concerned with Christ's word. He was concerned with Jesus's mission going forth, not Paul's mission. Be careful that you're not a hindrance to the work of God. These men thought they were hindering Paul. He's a pesky fellow. They were hindering God's work. You may claim it's against a man because they claimed it was against Paul, but it was really in opposition to God. You have to be very careful that we're not hindering God's work. Do not fear man. If your defense is about the gospel, you don't have to worry And don't fear man. Jesus said, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be made known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, I said hell in church. Jesus said hell. Wow. Jesus preached about hell. Oh, interesting. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Paul, the same as Jesus, was not hated because of his good works. See, they didn't bring him because of all the healings Paul was doing. It was because of what he spoke. Because his words of truth. No, no, one hates, no, one, no one hated Jesus because of all the miracles he did. And how many people he fed. <clears throat> how, many, how many people got healed and raised from the dead. It was his words. That's why he was condemned. It was Paul's words of truth. Is why he is brought right now. before not, Well, right now. But right now. Here. Right now. Not today, he's in heaven. It was his words. Because we cannot remain neutral. 
We want to, re- we want to remain neutral because we want everyone to like us. We fear man more than we fear God. We want everyone to like us. And the world is screaming, that's not loving. I can't, I, I'm, about, I'm so tired of that. I'm, I'm going to slap the next person that tells me that. And I'm like, that's not loving. Me too. You can't, re- we cannot remain neutral. You can't remain neutral. You can't tolerate evil because you fear the reprisal of man. You can't. God condemned a whole church who tolerated falsehood for the sake of unity and friendship. The whole church in Theatira was rebuked for tolerating a doctrine of sexual immorality and idolatry. Because why? Because they refuse to confront it. They refused to say that sin, probably because there was the fear of man. If I say that, I'm not going to have friends. They're not going to like me anymore. They're not going to want to hang out with me. People are going to blah, blah. People don't like you anyways. (laughs) We think everybody likes us. No. No, people talk about you behind your back. You, you might as well stand up for the Lord. You might as well stand in the truth. You might as well speak the word of God. You might as well. You know, I, I, I knew a lady one time and um, her best friend was an unbelieving man. And so there's two things wrong with that. First of all, she was married. So her best friend shouldn't have been a man. And then secondly, he shouldn't have been, they shouldn't have been a non-believer. And, and we had co- several conversations with that. And she's like, oh, he, he doesn't affect my faith at all. Well, the last I seen or heard from her, she's, in, she's completely in false doctrine. She's completely away from the faith. You know, and, and the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. And we don't want to believe what God says. We, we don't want to actually believe that that's true. We don't want to actually believe that. And I have seen that proverb ring true more times than I care. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that true in people's lives. I said, don't hang out with that person. It's not good for you. They're, they're, they're leading you down the wrong path. Oh, you just don't know them. No, I know them. I know where they're taking you. I know where that's going. I've had people tell me you can't preach about hell. It scares people away. They do. You can't say that. Well, Jesus did. Paul did. The apostle John did. He wrote Revelation. There's a judgment day whether or not you like it. Whether or not you want to believe it. And as, as we get into this, you're going to see that, you know, a, a little bit further in scripture, I think Pastor Jay's preaching on it. Jesus talks to him, talks to Felix and, and them about the judgment that come. Oh, yeah, there's a judgment to come. We want to avoid these things because, oh, people don't like to hear that. 
There are people that will not make heaven whether or not you like it. But we will be held responsible to God for whether or not you told people the truth or you continue to allow them to believe the lie. You're held responsible for that. If they're in your realm of influence, you're responsible for that. Dave Wilkerson was told not to preach about sin when he went into New York in the 1970s. He went into gang-infested New York in the 70s and preached sin to them, that they were sinners. And his fruit still endures to this day. Might have even been the 60s. Have you heard of the cross and the switchblade? Yeah, that was Dave Wilkerson. That was Dave Wilkerson. I've been reading this book, Charles Finney. Oh, man, you guys want some... You, you think preaching up here, whoo, Charles Finney, people would be slain by what that man said. He, he didn't hold, he did not pull any punches and he had revival everywhere he went with righteousness and people being converted and, and falling down and repenting because he preached the gospel that you are a sinner that needs a saver and you have to repent and turn from your ways and you can't continue to live in your sin. You can't continue to be lukewarm. You cannot continue these things. It's a road to destruction. And his fruit proved his ministry. And 1 Corinthians says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking to a church. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to church. He said, do not be deceived. Neither the fornicators, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, or the homosexuals, nor the sodomites, nor thieves, nor the covetous, that's in your heart, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And the truth is that today's Christians lack courage. And then they side with the heathen and turn on the truth teller. It's all under the guise. It's not loving. You know, and when you read Paul's own converts turned on him and ridiculed him for his harsh words, was Paul not loving? So I, I love you like a father. Was Peter not loving when he stood on the day of Pentecost and he said to the whole people ahead of him, you are the ones that crucified Christ. You did it. And he said, repent. Peter found courage after denying the Lord three times. He learned he needed to have courage. Philippians 1, 27, 28 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. He said, don't be terrified by your adversaries. So he's telling you two things. First of all, you're going to have adversaries. Yeah. Yeah. This is, he's talking to the church. He's not even talking to a preacher here. 
He's talking to the church. He said, you're going to have adversaries. Don't fear. Don't fear. Paul here was being judged, they said, on his actions. But it wasn't really his actions they were judging. It was his motives. He was a perfect pest. He defiled the temple. He was a heretic. And this is unrighteous judgment. See, we're allowed to judge another's fruit. So like, if you look at uh, Pastor Matt and I, and you look at our kids, you can judge our parenting by our children. You're allowed to do that. That's the fruit. My children are the fruit of my parenting. The fruit of a pastor is his church. Is it kind? Is it loving? Is it generous? Are they living in holiness and righteousness? You're allowed to judge fruit. That's, that's how we are to judge people, by the fruit that we're producing. But we're not allowed to judge another's motives. So we look at someone's actions or by means in which they do something, and they're looking at Paul, and they're like, oh, he did this and he did that. But they're judging his motives. That's unrighteous. We can't judge another's motives. We're not allowed to judge the motives of one's heart. Do you lack the courage to tell the truth? I don't know. Do you? Thank you, Billy. Can you tell? Can you tell a family member they're in sin? Are you willing to lose friends for the sake of the gospel? I lost one of my best friends. One of my best friends that I ever had. Because she was flirting with a man that was not her husband. And I, and I sat her down and I told her she was in sin and she was headed toward the path of destruction. And, 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 on, and I was actually really perturbed because none of her other Christian friends would tell her so. In fact, they just kind of played in with her in that little game that she was playing. And so she completely cut me out of her life. And who did she go to? The other people that were telling her, no, you're, it's fine. It's fine. You're doing okay. It's fine. She's just a zealot. I've been called that a lot. Would you be able to stand in court as Paul and tell the truth without crumbling? What's your confession of faith? And are you sharing it? Paul said, I believe all these things. He didn't dispute about the intricacies of the law or of the washings or of clean and unclean food. He didn't dispute. He he wasn't disputing that. He simply stated a confession of faith. I don't argue with people anymore about the things of God. It's just fruitless. I, I believe in tithing wholeheartedly. And if you come and ask me about it, I'll tell you about it. I believe in tithing. If you don't want to tithe, I'm not going to argue with you. If you want to argue about it, go somewhere else. Please don't come to me. Because I'm going to tell you, I believe what the Bible says. I do it. And I've seen the evidence of it in my life. So I'm not going to argue about it with you. I believe a wife should submit to her husband. And if you don't believe that, you don't want to submit, I'm not going to argue with you. 
what about women's movement and lib and we can do this and that and that? Yeah, well, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. I'm not going to, I'm done arguing with people. I'm just done arguing about it anymore because it's fruitless. Because rebellious people will find anything to argue about. They'll find anything to argue about. And the people who argue the most with me call themselves a Christian. It's not the world arguing with me. Some other Christian. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do this. And you're blah, 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 blah. I'm like... I, I, didn't, I didn't go argue with you. You came and argued with me. I simply stated, this is what I believe. This is what I do in my life. Why would you attack a brother in Christ for having a different ministry than you? I, I, I'm called as a prophet and as a teacher, and I'm going to give an account for my ministry one day. You're not going to give an account for me. I'm not going to give an account for you. You're going to give an account to God for what he's placed in your hands. So why are you going to argue with me about how I'm doing my job? Now, if you want to help me and you see something I'm doing wrong, by all means, take me aside and help me. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. By all means, I'll listen. But if you're going to come and argue with me about it, I ain't listening. But here's one thing that no one can argue with me about is my testimony and confession of faith. I once was blind, but now I see. That's my life. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't literally blind. I was figuratively blind. I was blinded. My life is I was blind, but now I see. You can't argue with me about that. You can't say, how were you blind? I, I can tell you how I was blind. I can tell you how I see now. Amen. You can't argue with me to say, Jesus saved my life and the life I now live, I live by faith in him. I live for him. Amen. That's my confession of faith. I believe the Bible is the whole counsel and word of God. That's my confession of faith. I believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's my confession of faith. No one can argue with you about your confession. No one can argue about, with you about how the Lord saved you, how the Lord healed you. They might call you crazy. They might call you a zealot and they may call you brainwashed. Might say you're part of a cult. Christianity, if you think about it, is a cult. We have one supreme leader. We, we got a book that we follow. But they can't argue with what Christ has done in you. Amen. 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 Russ, will you pray? Play. So be a pesky fellow. a pesky fellow. Just take a minute and respond to the sermon. I always like to give you a minute to respond to the sermon. If the Lord spoke anything to you through that, if there's something you've been wrestling with, there's something you need to work on, if something you need to change, 
The word of God goes forth as a, as a two-edged sword. The Bible says it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And, it, and it's, so, it's so precise, it cuts the skin from the bone. And if you let God's word cut you deeply and, and heal those things and move those things and, and cut those things away, it will do it. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want to give you an opportunity to do that. Is there anybody here that can say, if I died, I don't know where I'm going. I don't really know Jesus. I've heard of him, but I've never made him the Lord of my life. I've never turned from my past. My sins are still against me. If that's you, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've been far from the Lord. You've been far from the Lord. He's here. And you're here. Now is the day of salvation. Stop living in the muck and mire. Now is the time to come back. There's persecution coming for the church. And the Lord has shown me that half the church will not be ready. You better be ready. You need to come back. Prodigal, come back. Fall down on your face. Come back to the Lord. He's waiting. He's knocking. He's been waiting for you. You need to make that declaration to him today. If you need to cry out to him today, just do it. Don't let this moment pass you by. Lord, I thank you for this word tonight, Father. Lord, I pray that it would go down deep into our spirit, Lord. God, that we have an example like Paul, God. And didn't flinch in the face of adversity, that spoke the truth wherever he went, that was ridiculed and hated and despised, but loved by you. Let us be people of faith, God that walk in your ways, God, that aren't afraid of men. But long to serve you and honor you with our whole life. God, we just thank you and praise you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. God, I thank you for new beginnings, God. I thank you that the second half of our life can be better than the first, Lord. What a blessing and miracle worker you are, Lord. Thank you for tonight. We give you praises and glory and honor in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.